Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hey, First Gen family, I hope you're tuning into this on a Thursday. Why? Because that's when the First Gen Hunter podcast drops every week. Yep, the brand new, hot, right out of the pan episode of the First Gen Hunter podcast always drops on a Thursday. And if you're listening on a Thursday, that means you're probably subscribed. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. We got all kinds of content, new episodes rolling at you every single week. On today's episode, we go to a whole new direction. We start talking a little bit about mule deer. We come back to some elk, and we've talked about elk before, but this is a special episode because we're talking to a guy who has many decades of experience chasing after these critters. Mr. Bill Jenkin III is a man who was born in Montana has traveled and moved all over the United States and has hunted big game from New Hampshire to Alaska and all over in between. And he is going to tell us about his experience chasing after these two iconic Western species, mule deer and elk. So I'll stop talking about it and get you to the interview. Ease back in your seat, pull up to your desk, start getting some work done and enjoy the melodic sounds of good old hunting talk with episode 25 of the first gen hunter podcast an interview with mr bill jenkin the third Well, everyone, we have kind of a unique episode today, and that is because Brandon has listened to this podcast so many times that he's finally gone out to go hunting. Well, that's not entirely true. He's been hunting for 30 plus years, and uh, he had some time today, and there was no way I was going to try and block him from that, because that's what we're all about here at First Gen Hunter, getting out there and enjoying what we have in God's great creation and stepping onto the landscape as a predator with bow, muzzleloader, or gun in hand, and uh, hopefully finding something uh, good to eat and maybe some antlers to hang on the wall. And so, in his stead, I have my brother Jake back. You guys met Jake clear back on episode six. Jake, thanks for filling in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking to Bill and uh, hearing all about his story. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of Bill, Bill is our our interview guest today, our, our uh, well, really our fill-in expert because uh, we don't have Brandon here to give us all this uh, 
veteran hunter uh, insight while we record this because Jake and I are both true first-gen hunters here. We we uh, do not have uh, the years of experience that Brandon does, but Bill is lending that to us today. And uh, Bill, thanks so much for being willing to come on the show. I am glad to be here. Yeah, it's it, it's it's kind of an interesting way how this all worked out. Bill Jenkin is a a man of many different hats, really. Um, in fact, I'll give him a chance here to kind of fill that in for us. But Bill did a uh, an event. He cut. He was the the keynote speaker at an event at the church that Jake and I attend. In a previous episode, uh, Brandon and I and the guest talked about fishing game dinners. And our church had one several years ago, and Bill was the keynote speaker. And he was one of those guys who kept you on the edge of your seat. He has a a wealth of hunting stories through his years uh, chasing around big game I, I, he sent me a picture of a bunch of squirrels he shot too. So he even chases some <laughs> some small game too. But uh, he uh, really uh, piqued my interest with his uh, ability to tell a story and and just his valuable experience as a hunter. So I thought he'd be a great person to bring on the show. And on top of that, a lot of his experience is not entirely limited to, but goes out to Montana. So a lot of Western experiences, even hunted Alaska. Um, Bill, have you hunted other western states beyond Montana and Alaska? I, I have. We have. Uh, we did a. We did a self-guided horse hunt in uh, East Central Colorado. Okay. And uh, we went up for ten days. We rented horses and and went up there. And that's. Uh, let me think for a moment. That is the only other western state that I've hunted in. I've hunted in a number of. Uh, Midwest states, and then even back east, as far back east, hunting in uh, New Hampshire, okay, and in New York, and in New York. Oh, very good, very good. And my in-laws are in New Hampshire, and I, I hope to hunt out there someday. That's a totally different ball game than hunting the uh, the field and CRP patches here in <laughs> in Iowa. It is, <laughs> and unless it has changed, and I, I have not checked recently, but I know for certain when our son and I hunted there. Uh, the rule in New Hampshire is you can hunt on a piece of property unless it is posted. Yes, so, that is, wow. I and, believe that is and, true. Yeah, and so you always want to be careful, and there are certain areas that are rifle areas, so you want to be really careful. But we were actually confronted. We were out hunting, and someone confronted and said, you, you can't hunt here. And I was, oh, yes, we – and we were very kind and everything. We wanted to be a good representation of hunters. But, but that, that was the law then, that if it's not posted, then you can hunt on it. Yeah. So wow. if you want your own, if you want your own ten acres not to be hunted on by someone else, you have to post your own ten acres. Yeah, that's that. That brings up a good point. I, th- I, I think I knew that. Um, I believe Maine is the same way. And okay, a guest I had on here, oh, back episode, I want to say episode fifteen. Uh, he did some deer hunting up in North Dakota, and I think they had that same law. That's 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 a kind of a good law. Um, I. I think so. I think so because people are respectful. Yeah, 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 for sure. And uh, it, it really opens up those opportunities, especially when there's not a lot of of uh, public ground maybe to to go on, and and uh, maybe you know someone's private piece just has that terrain feature that you don't get on the public piece that that causes more animals to spend more time over there or whatever. So, yeah, it definitely opens up some uh, valuable opportunities there. Well. Uh, 
Bill. This is my brother, Jake. Jake was at the same event that I was at all those years ago. And uh, so you guys may have met there, but Jake, uh, he and, and myself, we are not lifelong hunters. We're lifelong outdoorsmen, but we didn't grow up uh, hunting. We did a lot of fishing, a lot of backpacking, kayaking, canoeing, camping, that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until we were uh adults and okay. we were able to kind of uh kind of make our own rules right and and uh <laughs> and spend our own money and and uh, uh kind of put things t- together to to get out and hunt and uh so uh, hence the name first gen hunter and and okay. uh, so we we really value your experience here on the show let's uh go ahead though and give you a chance here to kind of explain how um your unique situation for what you do for for a career and uh, all the travel that you do and uh, even how you in a way you of course you're not you know illegally able to declare residency in two different states but in a way you are a resident of two different states Um, could you kind of just explain in a in a kind of a general sense how that all fits together sure sure i can we my wife and i are from montana and we live in Michigan, uh, we are privileged to serve as a president and executive assistant with Continental Baptist Missions, which is a church planting mission organization. We start new churches in the United States, Canada, and Puerto Rico. And in fact, on your church, Kent, if you look there, there's a, there's a plaque on there, and that was one of the churches there in Iowa that was associated with Continental Baptist Missions. Oh, really? That's, mm-hmm. that's... Our, our ministry involves... Uh, I would say the word lightly. No one would call me the boss, uh, and yet that's what I am. Uh, and I say that because I wouldn't want anyone to be referring to me as the boss as such. <laughs> but we supervise, we supervise uh, the missionaries, and we have uh, people that work with us, of course, hand-in-hand, who have even more direct supervision. So we're in charge of the mission. I answer to a board of 18 pastors. I jokingly okay. say that I never had so many bosses until I became the boss. And so the, <laughs> the board, the board of directors, is actually our uh, my my boss, and uh, we travel representing Continental Baptist Missions in missions conferences, as you would expect. But actually, most of our meetings traveling are Bible conferences, or revival meetings, or evangelistic efforts, and uh, we travel a lot. We're on the road a lot. In one twelve-month period. Uh, Terry and I were in 46 different churches, so that's almost wow. a, a church, a different church every week. Wow! Yeah, and uh, and and that was the highest, but it's it's never it's never been a whole lot lower than that. So we managed to keep really really busy, and we're all around the country. We've been in all 50 states. We haven't necessarily preached in all 50 states. And when I say we, I do the preaching, but we're a team, and uh, so we we travel together. And she does ladies' meetings, and. Uh, and we do that representing Continental Baptist Missions. Sure. Uh, my, so my, my life in Montana, uh, I, was, I was raised nine miles west of uh, town, Anaconda, Montana, and uh, just in the woods, in the mountains. And that's where I got a real love for creation. But it wasn't until I was 19 years old and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and then I met the Creator, Uh, Colossians chapter one actually tells us that Jesus is the creator and he is the sustainer. And uh, so then I appreciated creation even more now having a personal relationship with Christ. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's the the most important uh, part of life, the most important uh, decision to make. Now, with, it is indeed. It w- is. Yep. With all your travels, you're actually the, one of the one of the things we had to work out with this whole uh, conversation is uh, if if Brandon would have would have been able to join me today, we would have had three different time zones represented here. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> Bill Bill is actually in Alaska right now. He's he's uh, finishing up one of his uh, uh, trips out there, and. Um, uh, just a few years ago, Bill was telling me he tagged out on a nice big Alaskan bull moose. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was good. So, yeah. In yeah. fact, it was it was interesting. An idea of, in fact, I need to write an article about this. I write an article for our missionaries, and I tie things in spiritually. And and uh, I'll be I'll be cautious about that today, even though you've you've given me carte blanche. I appreciate this, but I I wanted to go hunt in a certain area up by the Knick River. And when I got up there to hunt, I saw a camp there. So out of respect to those camping, I hollered, hello, the camp. And and they they came out, and they were there in the evening. And I said, are you guys hunting the flats out there? And they said, yes, come and join us. And I said, no, no, I'll, I'll wait till you leave. They were leaving on Thursday. And I said, what are you seeing? And they're seeing, they're say, they said, we're just seeing a little, a little three-point. And he wasn't little, but it was a three-point. Sure. And the hunting laws in Alaska for out-of-staters – and sometimes even for residents, you can shoot a two-point or you have to shoot one that's 50 inches plus. Sure. And people say, how do you know? Well, you just, you better know. And if, <laughs> yeah. you, shoot, if you shoot one too small, you're in, a, you're in a world of trouble. So you're better off to pass. And so anyway, I said, are you seeing anything? And they said, no, we're only seeing a three-point. Well, the three-point's illegal. And they said, we're seeing it every day. It just hangs around us. And so they cleared out on Thursday. And I went in there on, on Thursday morning. And uh, I saw this little three-point come out, and I thought, oh, boy, can't shoot it. But he turned his head just right, and he was two points on the other side. Okay. And I had carefully read the law, and a, a two-pointer, you look at the lowest side. And so it was a legal It was a legal shoot. It was a big bull. It was not big antlers. We split the meat four ways, no bones, and each one of us took 150 pounds after we split Whoa. it in, oh, wow. in four ways. So, uh, but there's an interesting story there about knowing what the regulations say, because I suspect they were looking at that legal bull every day. And because wow. it had three points on one side, they thought it wasn't, it wasn't legal. Right. Right. Good lesson. Good lesson there to read yeah. the regs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when you, you know, sometimes I think we can get so caught up when we plan these really in a way, a trip of a lifetime, you know, and we think, you know, I'm not coming away from this unless I have a trophy caliber rack of antlers Mm -hmm. to come home Mm -hmm. with. And I don't, I'm not saying that's, that's wrong. Not, not by any means. If I mean, someone's spending the money and that's what they, they're out there to get. That's more power to them. But I'm one of those guys who, when I start looking at all the money in uh, the trip, and uh, the time away from my family and kind of what uh, people back home have to, the hoops they got to jump through for me to enjoy this uh, trip and everything else. If I get a shot, like you said, at a legal animal that that, uh, gives me a chance to bring home some meat, uh, unless it's like maybe day one or two into a long trip, I'm going to I'm going to take that opportunity and and I think I I think that's a great point. Know the laws and take advantage. Right. I said the same thing when 
Uh, I did shoot a spike early in the season, not real early in the season, but early in the season. And someone was kind of kidding me about it. And I said, I know that feeling of getting on the airplane empty handed. Yep. <laughs> and yep. so I took a, I took a bull, I took a, a smaller bull about the third day into the season. And, uh, I didn't re- I've never regretted that. Not only that, that opened up the rest of the season for me to hunt for a trophy buck. And I turned down some beautiful five pointers looking for a, looking for, and I say a five point in the West, we only count one side. That's right. And so that would be a, that would be a 10 point in the Midwest or in the East. And I turned them down because I, I already had my meat and I thought, well, if I get a real trophy, I'd take it. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. And that is a good, that is a good point you make there. Yeah. If, because Bill is a true Western native, he'll probably speak, speak on, uh, when he's talking about different animals here, he'll probably use that rack reference there. Sometimes you'll hear Western guys say a five by five or, Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's, it is different than what, than what Jake and I would call something here in the Midwest. We'd call that a 10 point buck or something sure. like that. Mm-hmm. So yes. if and neither, neither is right or wrong. It's right. They're both accurate. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So just, yep. uh, when you, when you hear Bill talking about that, just, uh, so you can get that mental picture. That's the, that's kind of the hunting lingo. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, Bill, do you hunt alone when you go on those Alaska trips or do you go with a yeah, group of guys question. or, uh, I, I actually hunted grizzly and my, my son-in-law was in the military and he was a resident, not a native, but a resident. And Alaska's laws said that I could hunt a grizzly bear without a guide. If I was with him, I carefully checked the laws and it doesn't mean you have to be holding hands out there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even mean you need to be in sight of each other, but we were, we were hunting together and that enabled me to hunt a grizzly. And then, uh, when I got the, I love to hunt alone. I really, really like people, but I really, really like to be away from people also. <laughs> right. Uh, yep. So when I got the, when I got the bull moose in Alaska, uh, I was with, I was alone and probably five miles from anybody else. Okay. And, and then when I got it, uh, we actually had phone coverage. Something oh, wow. we don't have in most places in Montana. <laughs> and then I, I called the guys and they came in and they helped me get it out of the woods. Yeah, that's a lot of packing by yourself. <laughs> yes, yes, it wow. sure is. It was a, it was a lot of packing for for four of us. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it took us. I got it about nine thirty in the morning, and then we got it. Uh, we got it all uh, gutted out and everything. And then probably it was well, not probably. It was after nine o'clock at night when we finally got it hung. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of work. We slept real well that night. <laughs> That's a good yeah. feeling, isn't it? When you're, I think the, I think the right term for that is when you're bushed. You know, you're just, yeah. you're yeah. just, you're just beat down from a hard day of, of being outside and working hard. But that's a good reason to, to be that way. So that's yeah, yeah, that's great. It feels good though. It does feel good. It does feel good. Yep. 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 So we're we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here because the, we are, the, the the theme no that's okay it's good because the theme of this this show I'll title it I always title them uh, later on when something just kind of hits me but but um uh, the idea here is kind of a lifetime of someone who's who's hunted the West and we're starting to hear you know these stories trickling through these great stories here but I before we we get to all of those. Uh, down the road here i i do want to kind of rewind the clock a little bit and just talk about how you first got into hunting 
So, okay. so okay. when when did you really start hunting, and how did that come about? Okay, uh, my dad was not a hunter, and uh, yet he had a twenty two pump. Okay. Uh, in fact, I've it's old. I, I don't know all the it's a twenty a twenty two long rifle pump. It held 12, 12 rounds, and he gave that to me. The very first one I had about the same time that he trusted me with in the woods alone was a twenty-two long rifle single shot Stevens. Okay. And I started hunting, we call them gophers, they're actually ground squirrels. And I started hunting ground squirrels when I was eight years old with that little Stevens. And then I think the law may have changed, but back then you couldn't hunt big game until you were twelve. And then I started hunting big game when I was 12. I got a deer uh, the first year walking. I didn't have a vehicle. I walked from my house. We're in, we're oh, in wow. uh, deer hunting, and, and really now it's elk hunting range. Okay. And, and so I got my first deer when I was 12 uh, above the cliffs above my house. I would hunt up on top, and if I, I got it on the far side, Rather than drag it over the cliffs and down, I, I'm calling them cliffs. It's just a well, it's a good steep hill. There are cliffs. Uh, I would take it the other way, and then I would hitchhike home, even with my rifle, and I'd get a transportation to go pick it up. If I got it on the side that I was on, then I drug it down to my house. Sure. So I always just walked <laughs> walked from my house to to hunt, and then I got my first elk when I was 15 years old. Wow. And I did take a few days off work. I'm off school. Our school actually had three or four skip days for hunting season. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, I don't know if they do that anymore. I haven't, I haven't asked, but they were, they were skip days. You could take the days off and and not be in trouble for taking days off to go hunting. That's, that's really, that's really cool. Now, when you say deer, are you talking whitetails? Cause I know whitetails have kind of become a, a popular thing there in, in Montana, but I also know there's a lot of mule deer in Montana. There are. I never saw a whitetail until I was an adult. Now oh, we have wow. whitetail in Montana. Uh, my wife and I have built a cabin out of our own timber, very close to where I was raised. And we have whitetail on that property, and we have muleys on that oh, property. Oh, very cool. But back in that day, I didn't. I never even saw. I knew. I knew what they were, but I never even saw a whitetail. Then we started seeing them in the in the lower creek areas, but now we see them pretty much all over. Uh, interestingly enough, a few years ago, and I'll be brief. This is a story again. We were looking for one for my pastor's wife, and she's a she's a hunter. Sure. And we were driving by this whitetail buck every morning down in the creek bed, and finally dawned on us after about three days. Wait a minute, let's go get Pearl, and she can shoot that whitetail. Our our mind <laughs> was just set on muleys. We didn't even consider that a whitetail would be would yeah. be uh, sufficient, but it, it certainly was, <laughs> and it was a nice it was a nice little buck. That's awesome. That's cool. So yes, it was a mule deer. My first deer for a lot of years, my only deer were, were muleys. That's yeah, that's, and, and, and I definitely want to take that route here as, as, uh, this, this conversation goes on here because, um, I have no experience hunting mule deer. That is one of the species that I really, uh, uh, have hopes to chase after. I, I think the, they're just some of the coolest animals, especially game species here in, in mm-hmm. North America. Um, there's the way their antlers kind of tangle almost more like a tree branch uh, and uh, the way they bound around, I just think is uh, uh, so fascinating. So I definitely well, want to consider it, consider an invitation. You could, 
we could actually sleep in my house and go hunting off my own property in Mon in Montana. And if we wanted to, dr we could do it without driving. I will. Could I would could definitely take you up on that. That sounds. <laughs> that sounds. That sounds awesome. Sounds like a lot once of fun. I, once I get moved out there, then uh, I hope to be able to do that. I'll be hunting with a couple of guys now. A couple of pastors in Montana. Sure. We're going to be hunting together. But uh, as far as getting out of staters out there, I'd be really comfortable having an out of stater come and hunt deer. I think as I get back into it as a resident, I'd be comfortable to saying, go ahead and get an elk permit. Okay. And, yeah. uh, oh, wow. Which, yeah, which is a draw. You have to draw that, but sure. usually only takes two years. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's that's good yeah. info. Uh, while we're on it here, Bill, uh, you were kind of explaining before we uh, got into the interview here, uh, the the newer, we probably shouldn't say new anymore, but newer law for that applies to people in your situation, somebody who was born uh, in Montana and grew up in Montana and then as life kind of unfolded, ended up moving away, uh, they, they've made a provision for people in your circumstance so that you don't have to pay the full price for a non-resident tag. Can you kind of explain how that works briefly in case we have a listener in a similar position? Sure, sure I can. For a lot of years, uh, the tag was around uh, the whole a deer tag, an elk tag, conservation license, so you'd be able to get a deer and an elk was over a thought was was about six hundred bucks. Wow! And then in more recent years, maybe I shouldn't say for certain, but probably eight eight years ago or so, it went up to over a thousand dollars. That's when I started hunting Alaska because I could hunt Alaska cheaper than Montana, and mm. I could fly to Alaska. For the same price of flying to Montana. Okay. Montana is yeah. an expensive oh, well. place to, to fly to. So is Alaska. And so I found out about this law. I'm told it's only about three years old. It's called, it's a, I say a law, it's a provision is a better word. And it allows for a native non-resident. Now a native means native born. Sure. Uh, my older brother moved there when he was when he was two years old, and and he doesn't qualify. And so <laughs> it, bummer. It, it's, yeah, it is a bummer because he thinks of himself as nothing but a Montana native. But but and you have to prove it. You have to take your birth certificate in. Okay. And and then you also have to have a resident, a, a native born resident. And I'm I'm being redundant because they don't say native born. They just say native, and they mean native born. Sure. And our because our son lives in Columbia Falls. Uh, I have to take his birth certificate in and a current driver's license. And so those two things enable me to buy a license for a little less than half price. Okay. And, and that includes a fishing license too, which is normally a fishing license is about 140 bucks. So now I'm able to get a fishing license, uh, elk tag, a deer tag. I think it'll have a bear tag. I'm not sure of that, but then, uh, then I can, I can go ahead and hunt. And then this year I found out that my, my bull elk tag, in some areas, one of them I'll be hunting in is good for a uh, antlerless elk. Oh, okay, yeah. And and I've always been a meat hunter. I've never ever hunted for horns. I have some nice horns, but I've never hunted for antlers. I say horns. You understand they're antlers. Yep. But yep. We, I'm, you know, we used to say you can't eat antlers or you can't eat horns. So, <laughs> so uh, good point. So so that for the last few years, then that's allowed me to buy that license. Sure. That's a, yep. that's a great thing. You know, I, I think states have really gotten creative here in the last, oh, five, ten years where they've, they've gone out of their way to intentionally encourage people to get 
get involved in the outdoors sure. and, and um you know we we've talked about it several times and and uh you dig around long enough and you'll hear uh people in in the uh outdoor world both complaining and celebrating you know if they're the the selfish hunting cut kind right where uh, yeah. they they want more they want more to themselves but uh, a lot of people uh kind of kind of uh uh bemoan the uh loss of a lot of hunters now thankfully you know one of the few positive things we can look at coming out of uh covid uh, 19 pandemic is uh most states i think and i better be careful there and maybe not most but a lot of states have seen a very significant bump in the number of hunting and fishing license sales uh this this past year i probably a whole combination of things but i think people maybe were kind of looking at uh you know when there was a real uh food disruption uh early on and then but also just more time you know the normal distractions and and time sinks of of people's daily lives kind of got thrown thrown for a loop there and so they were able to maybe get back to doing some of these things they enjoyed growing up or whatever but yeah it's nice to see states do that I appreciate you taking a positive look because we can choose to view things from a negative perspective or we can choose to view them from a positive perspective. And I see a lot of positive things. I really do. Oh, we appreciate that. Yeah. It's, you know, when, when I think of me finally getting into hunting, I love doing all those other things uh, growing up, the, the fishing, the backpacking, canoeing, all that stuff. Um, But it, I never really found that same level of enjoyment in the outdoors until I started to hunt. And to me, it's just something, why would you want to keep this from somebody? You know, it's just such a fun thing to, to be a part of and, and a new unique way to appreciate, uh, uh, the, the natural beauty that we have all around it is. us. So good, good. Hey everyone, hope you're enjoying this interview. There's so many great stories here Bill's telling and a lot of great tips for if you ever get your chance to go out out west and chase after some mule deer and elk. Well, today's tip is going to be deer season relevant because as I record this, we are just maybe a week and a half from some of the best deer hunting of the year. We're getting real close to that rut time frame. Deer are starting to run around and when they do, they start piling up on the roads. Yes, people start hitting deer this time of year. And you can actually use that to your advantage. No, I'm not talking about carving some back straps off of a dead deer. Although, you know, if it wasn't there on your way to the store and all of a sudden now it's there, eh, fresh venison, what's a guy to do? I don't know. Anyways, the way you can use this to your advantage is through hunting. And what do I mean by that? Well, If you are going to be hunting a new piece of public ground, or maybe you got permission from a friend or somebody else to uh, hunt some private ground that you haven't had a chance to scout yet, or you didn't get out in the spring and shed hunt, or uh, have a chance to put up trail cameras, or get out in the summer and be looking around with binoculars or a spotting scope or whatever, then 
you're going to have to do some in-season scouting. Now, as our buddy uh, Cole Young from Working Class Bowhunter has talked about before, you can use observation stands to, you know, yeah, maybe get a crack at a deer, but mostly you're just sitting out there because it's a good vantage point and you can see what the deer are doing. That's an excellent way to get that in-season scouting taken care of. Another thing you can do, though, is you can look for roadkill. And here's what I mean. Deer do not move randomly. If there's going to be a dead deer on the road, he was coming from somewhere and headed to somewhere else. And deer do not do that randomly. They don't just run out in the middle of nowhere to travel. They like to use some type of uh, terrain feature. Could be a stand of timber, could be a uh, kind of a drainage ditch, could be a creek, could be a CRP strip, could be uh, all sorts of things that offer that advantageous cover that makes them feel more secure in their travel. If you're lucky enough and you spot a dead deer, hopefully not your trophy buck, but a dead deer on uh, the road near an area where you can hunt, well, now you know, hey, I should probably try to find some good access and set up over there. Uh, but maybe it's not near somewhere that you can hunt, but you can still take away the lesson by looking around and observing the surroundings safely while you're driving, of course, and start looking for those specific terrain features that the deer are using to move during that time of year. Take that information, now apply it to the property where you do have permission to hunt, and you're going to be able to start painting the picture on where you can find deer travel that's going to give you an opportunity to set up, get your ambush in, and hopefully get a shot at a deer or two uh, this deer season. So use that information for some kind of unique in-season scouting and uh, hopefully it gives you that much better of a chance at narrowing down where the deer are and uh, hitting it big. So let's get back to part two of this interview with Mr. Bill Jenkin, all about a lifetime of experience hunting the West and getting our own dreams aligned for going after these mule deer and elk. So let, let's kind of shift gears here a little bit and let's start uh, talking a little more specifically about your experience with especially mule deer and mm-hmm. elk. Maybe uh, in the future we could bring you on again to uh, talk some bear hunting stuff because we haven't, we haven't covered that yet here on the show. But mule deer and <laughs> elk are, <laughs> are uh, something that I'm going to venture to guess a lot of Midwestern and uh, Eastern and Southern, we should say too, hunters are probably pretty well intrigued with. I know elk are starting to get reestablished to some of their natural Eastern ranges. I know Kentucky now has a, a, a huntable population and I think Pennsylvania might just be starting to issue some tags for elk again and so they're kind of moving there but mule deer they're still kind of the you got to go west <laughs> if you're gonna yeah if you're gonna yeah. find mule muleys so let's just start off kind of right away here and we'll kind of do this dichotomy of 
mule deer elk mule deer elk but let's uh okay. start with habitat if someone's starting to look over the aerial maps maybe they uh, don't have a connection out west and so they're going to have to do all public land of course they, they got to read the regs like we talked about make sure they're in the right units and uh you know uh, following all those those um, guidelines but what kind of habitat are you looking for when you decide you want to go mule deer hunting okay all right my and my my experience, uh, first of all, I, I wouldn't claim to be an expert, so I can tell you what, what I do. My cabin is at 6,300 feet. Okay. And I hunt deer, I hunt muleys, and I hunt elk in that, in that immediate area. Sure. Uh, and I find the habitat to be largely the same. Uh, depends on the weather. If there's heavy snowfalls then likely the elk have come down and okay. the deer have come down too. And so a lot of it is when I'm hunting elk, I'm also hunting muleys. It's, it's the same, okay. it's the same sure. day. It's the same hunt. Now, now Bill, when you say come down, are you talking that these animals are spending a significant part of their time at uh, elevation up at, higher in the hills and cliffs? They absolutely are. And, uh, <laughs> I'll mention later on, too, that there are exceptions to that. I've seen them down low in the summertime when normally we wouldn't have seen that. But that's been some changes because of some good things the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has done. Now, that's a big parenthesis. But, yes, uh, I'm at 6,300 feet. The mountains around my house are about eight, and we're below the tree line. And the habitat for deer and elk in these areas is going to be uh, the grasslands. And okay. sometimes sagebrush. And uh, some people like a sagebrush, a deer that's been in the sagebrush. Some people really don't like the sagebrush taste. But uh, when the snow hits up there, they're definitely coming down lower. And they're in thicker trees where the snow is is not as, as heavy. And so definitely they're coming down. Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. I imagine this has to do with the fact that you're having to hunt as a non-resident. So you're wanting to, you're wanting to prioritize your, uh, you know, having your best chance like you said you're a meat hunter so you're filling filling the the freezer is priority number one for you Um, it is so i imagine that most of your hunting as a non-resident is done with a rifle or or muzzle loader or something like that i've used a rifle i've used a muzzle loader Uh, i hunted for one year uh, with a bow sure and didn't get one had a wonderful time had a deer had a had a, a bull elk nearly within range. It was exciting bugling them in. But then I went off to Bible college and moved to Michigan. Sure. And I actually quit hunting. We had four kids and, and I quit hunting for a number of years, uh, probably about 15 years. So my okay. kids got a little bit older. Yeah. But yeah. as far as where I hunt, uh, Kent, that would be true of me coming in as an out-of-stater, but I will hunt the same areas when I move back there. That right. it, It's not just because I'm an out-of-stater. I'll be looking uh, knowing, uh, find a sloped hill, a mountain, a hill, find a slope hill. Uh, and so the sun is hitting it in the morning. And so I'm looking for a hill that's sloped to the east or that it's sloped to the south. Okay. And it, you could find elk on the other side of those hills, but they like the sunshine as well. Sure. Oftentimes we would look the night before get on a vantage point and use a high powered uh, spotting scope and try to find a herd that comes out just before dark. 
Okay. And when that herd comes out just before dark, we get our we get our maps out and we figure out how to get close to that before daybreak. And often that herd will be there in the morning. They'll still be feeding on that hill in the morning. That's and a great so interesting. That, that's one of the ways that has been very, very productive for me as far as as far as hunting elk. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, yeah. And again, check regs because there may be, you know, there may be some rules that a state has. You know, I don't think there's any rule anywhere that you can't walk in the dark. But, you know, if you have your weapon with you, you just pay attention to to what you're supposed to, you're, you're supposed to be, you know, store how you're supposed to be storing that weapon. That is a great tip because sure. I think most people think sundown, bedtime. I hope they're there in the morning. But, you know, if you're really if you're really going to get after it and you're going to want to try and get those opportunities and uh, you're kind of doing it, you're hunting in this this nomadic way almost where you're you're kind of traveling around and, and trying to stay close to the herd because they can. I, I've not hunted elk, but I have heard many people talk about how quickly an elk herd can cover some significant territory. So if if you're oh, not it's there. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 In fact, uh hunting in the snow in my opinion and i would smile here because good men could disagree on this sure. but in my opinion the idea oh boy we got snow we got tracking snow that means nothing to me in sure. in five minutes you could come across an elk track five minutes behind it and and he could be a couple of miles down the road wow and yeah. and, and farther than that in 10 or 15 minutes you know so that that track that's fresh only five or ten minutes old it may not mean anything it could mean something but it may not mean anything. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a really good point. You have to almost predict where these elk are going to be and and uh you know kind of like Bill does identifying those tendencies for how they use those terrain features like those east facing slopes and and things like that, you know, you, you just got to got to kind of piece the puzzle together there a little bit it sounds like. Yes, yes. So you've kind of mentioned this a little bit. You talked about these these uh, kind of grassy uh, meadows almost coming down out of the, the cliffs and the hills that, that both the deer and the elk um, like. But what real key food sources, you know, if, if it's the time of year where you can, you can uh, have kind of your choice of a food source that you're going to be hunting near, what kind of things are you prioritizing there? Okay. Lush grass and high mountain grass ha- is full of nutrients. That's that's good stuff for them to e- be eating. In fact, sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes it's the same range as as open range cattle country, but the cattle are gone by hunting season. Okay. And so that that lush grass on the side of a mountain, and and then also tender boughs of a tree, uh, and we don't have the hardwoods. And so we don't have the the acorns or that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, at least in the area where I'm hunting, we don't see that kind of stuff. And so I learned to look in Michigan for that kind of, of foliage, but or that kind of feed. Sure. But we don't we don't have that in Montana. So, and then sometimes too, you can catch them down to and from a water source, but that's not dependable because there's water source also in snow when they are in snow. And right. I don't mean to say that they won't be in snow. They can't get away from snow, but they can get down where it's not up to their belly. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's a, that's a good tip. So you, you kind of identify these different places, and I think that kind of naturally leads us to the next the next part of this, the application. Okay, now that we know where where uh, where we can find elk, what method are we are we going to use here? Are we are you setting up almost like a, a tree stand like you would in Michigan, you know, or uh, maybe even ground hunting in an ambush way, or mm-hmm. is this very much so spot and stock? You know, you're you're spending some time, like you said, with the spotting scope and the binoculars. You say, okay, there's a there's a good bull. I I, I kind of like him. I'm gonna go try and work over to him, cover some ground for the next few hours. What 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 exactly are you uh, using for your your method here? Okay. Well, the first spotting, uh, it, we try to do at night when you see them come out to feed. And that's where I mentioned you get your maps out and find a road, if you don't know the area real well, and try to be there. Try to be there before daybreak. Okay. And so there we're just looking for a herd. And hopefully there'll be some bulls in the herd. Maybe we saw the bulls when we were spotting with the high, with the high-powered scope. And then in the morning, we're there plenty early, way before daybreak, and... Uh, some guys will be as extreme as to uh, back in the old days, you couldn't turn the interior light off. Now you could actually turn it off so it didn't come on at all, uh, but not have a light. Close the doors really, really gently. No talking, zero talking. Mm. And that carries uh, that carries in an amazing way your voice would carry. And then know where we're going because we've looked at our maps or there's some kind of a trail, probably a game trail. And then go there. You can smell elk. It's mm. a, it's a wonderful smell. It's not a nice smell, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, they're, they're a dirty animal and uh, sure. they're, it's not a nice smell, but it's a wonderful smell. And one of the, one of the times a fond, fond hunt is uh, we hiked about, and there was no snow, uh, November hunt. We hiked about 600 yards, only 600 yards. It took us 45 minutes. We came out to an open hill, and we're, we're out in the open hill. We're walking really, really quietly. We're not talking at all, and we're, we're, we're hunched down, and you can smell the elk. I carry a, a time a card with the legal shooting times. It changes every couple of days. Right. I carry it in my front pocket, and I'm careful about that. We should be, as Christians, we should be ethical hunters. Yes. And then I kind of jokingly say I hunt with some deputies, so that motivates me to be an, <laughs> uh, an ethical hunter also. And yep. so that particular morning I was with my pastor, and we're on our knees. We're hunched down. We can smell the elk. We can hear them. We can hear the, the, the bulls are not bugling. It's later than that. But the cows are speaking to their, their calves, and it's just amazing. And we see legal time. And we stand up, and when we stand up, then the elk herd comes in view, and they see us, and they start to move. We stood up easily. We stood up slowly. We didn't. They're not. They're not spooked and bolting. And we were able to harvest two elk. Oh and that's man! Just, just a just an amazing, just an amazing thing. And and there again, uh, I think I think the guy who's hunting for a trophy, uh, your chances are probably better for that earlier in the year during the rut. Okay. When, yeah, you know, I was going to ask you about that. And you're challenging them. Yeah, and that's and that's bow hunting. We we normally you hear a bugle every now and again during the rifle season, but that's just probably an immature bull that's trying to prove something to somebody. Sure. And uh, so so that's that would be one of the ways. Uh, 
I get now there when it was legal shooting time, we stood up, we saw them, we were able to harvest. But another way that that's a favorite of mine is to be there well before daybreak. I do take a chair. Okay. You can't climb a tree. It's illegal to be in a tree. You don't have a, there's no such thing as a tree blind. Okay. And, and so I put a chair under the boughs of a tree and, and then wait. And I wait probably 20 minutes or half an hour after daybreak and see what's there. I'm overlooking a, I'm thinking of a field right now that's above my cabin and I'm overlooking that field. And then if there's nothing there, I stay in the trees and then I, I, we call it still hunting and that's not where you're standing still, but it's where you're taking a couple of steps and you're trying to be still as you go through the woods. And, and I don't know that that's an acceptable term to other people, but in my mind, that's the way I was taught to, taught to still hunt. Sure. And, uh, no, that's, that, and, yeah, that's still and a then good you, term. You spook some, yeah, you're, you spook something and, you're, and you're, you're ready to shoot, or maybe you don't spook it. Maybe they see you, and, and you just don't know. Elk are, are very skittish. And yet there are times too that an elk might be curious and he sees you and he stops to look. I got a, I got a bull one year that, uh, I surprised him and he surprised me and, <laughs> and I had a, I had about five seconds and I was able to, I was able wow. to harvest him and he, but sometimes when you surprise them, they're, they're gone like a shot. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this one wasn't, he, he stopped to look and see what I was all about. Sure. Now, sure. uh, Bill, how close do you get to these elk before you shoot them? Okay. Thank you. That is a good question. The last one that I got was over 400 yards. Oh, wow. I've shot two at over 400 yards. Wow. The the next to the last one that I got was 75 yards. Okay. Okay. And then I missed one in in Colorado. I had I had dropped my scope, and that's a story in itself. I didn't drop it; somebody else dropped it. That's a whole story in itself. <laughs> and I I missed a bull. I missed a five point at uh, about fifty yards. Oh, and, oh and you're almost and you're almost suicidal. I mean, it was it was a wonderful <laughs> hunt, and, and as soon as that as soon as that big disappointment is gone, then then I enjoyed the rest of the hunt. But, yeah. And how in the world did I miss? And it it turned out. May I, may I tell you that story? Yeah, Just yeah, I definitely yeah, want to okay. hear that story. Uh, all right, what what had happened there is uh, we, we get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and the first thing you do is take care of the horses. You go on, you, you brush them, and you get your saddle on, you get your scabbard on, you load your rifle, and then we're back inside. Hopefully, we're back inside before 5 and have breakfast. And we were camped at about 9,000 feet, and we're hunting at about 97 uh, and higher. Okay. And when we got on the horse that morning, one of the horses um, was startled and and reared, and we quickly changed riders, but we didn't change rifles. Oh no! So I took it. I took a different horse. Somebody else took a different horse. I ended up taking a different horse, and and sometimes they just get an attitude, even though they were great animals. And when I got there that morning, the guy said, "We're in the dark. We've gone in in the dark, and it's 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 hairy." And it's scary. It's rough terrain. And I found a tree and I had a, I had my little Gerber knife and I, I cut the branches. The biggest branch was about three quarters of an inch. And I cut a bunch of branches. There were six inches of fresh snow. I cut a couple branches and put them down. I cut all the way around the tree. So I cut more than a couple, but then I put them down to sit on them and I'm sitting. And at daybreak, I, I saw, I saw two cows and a, and a bull. And I, it was just easy shot. I yeah. actually was able to rest my uh, rest my gun on a branch, and uh, and I I shot, and I was just normally you'd put another one in, but I was just so sure shooting at fifty yards, 
and and I missed him, and I'm beating myself up, and then I realize somebody else had my rifle. So that same day, we're coming out of the woods on horseback, and we're we're bringing elk out. The other guys got elk. I didn't get one that day. <laughs> and I I said to the young man who had had my it was all done in the dark. His name was Bjorn, and I said Bjorn. Were you riding a big red horse today? And he says, yeah, I was. And I said, uh, you're not in trouble or anything, but did something happen to my rifle? Did you did you bump it up against a tree? Or He says, no, I didn't bump it up against a tree, and he's telling me the truth. <laughs> About 15 minutes later, he said, Bill, I've been thinking. I didn't bump your rifle against a tree, but it fell out of the scabbard and stepped on my two horses. <laughs> and so, so I went out shooting that afternoon. And I, I couldn't even find my first four or five shots oh, and, no. and, and, and completely wrecked my scope. And, and oh. uh, so I ended up, I ended up putting a new scope on it. And, sure. but, oh. but you have to enjoy that kind of stuff. Oh, incidentally, that's the same one. Like I said, I, I missed it and I was about suicidal and I'm speaking <laughs> facetiously when yeah. I say that, but, but you have to be able to enjoy that. You got to still look around and say, wow. This is great to be out here in the mountains. Yeah, mm -hmm. yep. for sure. Because if it if it wrecked your day or if it wrecked your hunt, then you're probably ought not to be hunting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, yep. Yeah. It's more about the adventure. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a story that I'll tell for all the time for you. That's a that's a. <laughs> it's painful, it's one but you can it's, laugh at now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And even even a few days later, was able to laugh at that. It's like, <laughs> all right, you know. And then I, I learned to ask the right question. I didn't say did anything happen to me. I said, did you bump it against a tree? And he honestly said, no, I, nope. I didn't bump it against a tree. So. Uh, now back to your question, though. Most of my hunting is, I I, I stay still in the morning, and wait maybe an hour and see if something's going to come by that when I stay still in the morning, when it gets, when it first gets light, I'm already there and I want a vantage point and I want to sit for half hour, 45 minutes. I don't know if I've ever sat for an hour. Then I start moving. And most of the game that I got, whether it's uh whether it's a muley or whether it's a bull elk uh, or an elk, I have shot a, I have shot a cow also is when I'm moving through the woods, just moving quietly through the woods. Okay. That's, that's a, that's a really good tip. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a lot that's missed by ground hunting, you know what I mean? Or by people not ground, choosing not mm -hmm. to ground hunt. They, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we get pretty locked on with, um, with the tree stand idea, which I'm not going to debate the, uh, the, you know, effectiveness of that. I think for sure a tree stand in the Midwest is, is almost always your best bet, but I do think that people should try ground hunting a little bit more and yeah. and especially when when you know you're not seeing anything and maybe you're coming to the end of your season or something sometimes you got to get up and get a little aggressive with it and go find the animals and you know that's when it's really going to challenge your your woodsmanship right when you it know, is. know it how is. to stay stay uh, uh downwind of the animals know how to uh use terrain features know how to to read terrain features, to figure out where animals are going to want to be, you know, all of that goes into, to, um, being able to hunt in that way. So. Sure. And a couple things too, concerning wind direction in the mountains, you think you got the wind direction figured out and it can shift even just within a couple of minutes and then shift back mm. again, where okay. I did learn when I was hunting in the Midwest that oftentimes if the wind is coming from the South, it'll keep coming yeah. from the South. And, mm -hmm. uh, I got to tell you, I, I hunted in, uh, Escanaba in the upper peninsula of Michigan, we pitched uh, six guys. We, we did it for a few years. We pitched a big tent 
and we would go for nine or ten days. Okay. And I told the guys, I was a Western hunter, and I said, man, I don't know if I can sit, guys. And they said, Bill, will you sit till 9.30 or 10 o'clock before you move? And I said, absolutely, <laughs> I, can, I can do that. So, so I sat, and I learned that I can like it. I would, I would actually take, I'd actually take my, my Bible when I, I read through the whole book of Matthew, one hunting season, okay. sitting. But then I would move later in the morning, and, but the guys would coach me where to move, and they would stay still. And that turned out to be, it wasn't a drive as such. But that turned out to be pretty productive as well. So, and then yeah. I did do my best hunting there, sitting. Yeah, uh, yeah. One year we got fourteen in our in our group of six, and I got I got four of the fourteen, oh, and then, wow. of course all all legal. Now only one buck, but then you're allowed to shoot does. And Michigan sure. did, and I, I don't say that they're not now, but I know back then they did a marvelous job in managing their herds, and sure. uh, they knew how many does need to be taken, so they're not going to starve to death and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yep. Yep. That makes sense. So I learned to do both ways, but I I do like the stalking. I do I do like the the still hunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's. Yeah, you're right. That is the. Yep. That that is. I remember somebody going on about that uh, on another podcast I listened to. How we don't really have the true. We've kind of lost track of the true definition of what still hunting is. And you're right. It is what you're you're describing it okay. as. Okay. Okay. Yep. So I'm not the only one that uses that term then. Huh? Right. I think it is kind of kind of a term that. People have lost track of its original meaning a little bit, but it, when when Bill says still hunting, and then maybe I'm one of those people who've lost the definition here, so correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. But uh, it's it's slow, methodic movement, maintaining, uh, uh, you know, really low sound and scent profile. You know, you're not you're not. You know, it's like you said, it's not a drive. You're not trying to bump, sure, bump sure. animals yeah. out of their beds or anything like that. Uh, but it, it gets the name still hunting from the fact that you walk a little bit and then you kind of park and then kind of kind of look well, around. Then, is that is that is that? Then I was. True? Yeah, I'm using it. I'm using it exactly that way. And the beauty of that, while I've done that in the Midwest in in heavy forest land, the beauty of that in doing it in the West is when you jump something, there can be there can be a big open area. We sometimes call it a park. It would be a big meadow. Yeah. It'd be a big open area. I got my biggest buck in, uh, in that very way where I saw five does come out and I think the buck actually sent, sends them out. I want to be careful not to give animals human characteristics, but he <laughs> sent the does, he sent the does out and then the buck came out later and he was dark. He was a deep woods buck. He didn't spend a lot of time in the daylight. I don't think his, his sure. coat was really, really dark. And, uh, and then I had time. I actually had time to slowly, it was 300 yards. I got that one. It was one of the first ones that I got uh, as far as a good size. And it is the biggest one that I ever got. I was able to, to lie down and uh, take my stocking cap off and put it on a rock and uh, put my put my stock on the rock and, and just wait for a good shot and get a good shot. Yeah. Now, if he'd have been running, then that would have been an interesting sighting and that's all it would have been. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So he'd have been gone. Maybe I could have caught up to him i don't know if he'd running because of me but as it turned out he just walked out and he was pretty secure because the does did it and and that was that was good that was still hunting so yep mm-hmm. yep yeah yeah i think most people now when i say that that definition is kind of lost its its original meaning i think most people now say still hunt and they associate that with sitting in a tree stand for yep. for 15 hours yeah. straight <laughs> well interesting because that's why that's why i kind of qualified that because uh, 
that's the way that I do it is what you described, just moving yep. quietly through the woods. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree. I think it is it is still, uh, you know, almost like it's it's lost its definition. I think it's almost a lost art too, in some ways. You know, where where um, we get so we get so embedded into these handful of ways to hunt, and we kind of almost forget some of some of those other ways that can still definitely in the right when applied the right way and in the right situation can be can be advantageous so and i I get weary too that sometimes the so-called experts make it seem so complicated that i've tried to put myself in the place of a first generation hunter and think boy would i even want to try that yeah and you know they make they make Mm -hmm. it sound like you got to have all the right gear you've got to you got to know this you got to know that and a lot of it isn't if you can be prepared certainly be prepared but but you don't have to have all the right equipment to go and get a deer or right. even to go and and get an elk elk are rarer <laughs> yeah yeah you know that the, the harvest rate of an elk is is far less than the harvest rate of a of a muley sure sure yeah yeah so as we um kind of wrap this one up here let's okay. uh, talk a little bit more mule deer specific stuff here when when you're hunting mule deer are you and this is again i have not hunted mule deer i've been around them a little bit when i've done some backpacking and and trout fishing trips out west but uh they seem to like more of a spend a lot of time in in grassier areas and they'll they seem to bed down for quite a while and so you kind of almost have to spot them in their bed from a good vantage point. Is that accurate or do you have a different method? Of it? No, I, I would say that's accurate. I should say, yes, I would say that's accurate. However, I've, I've gotten far more by, and I don't mean to be redundant here. I've gotten far more by going through the woods and then, and then seeing them or they see me or they hear me. And there again, if they come out of their bed and they bolt like a shot, then, then they're gone unless they're going across a long, and I've hit some while they're running. But yeah. for the most part, uh, they're gone. But if, if they get out of the bed and look around a little bit, then that's been far more productive for me in harvesting an animal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So with that, Bill, do you worry too much about scent or <laughs> if they see you? Or... Okay. <laughs> kind of... uh, I, I, give, I give zero, zero thought to scent. Okay. Well, that's not true. That's not true. I'm going to try to wear the same clothes every day mm-hmm. and, and not when they get sweaty and bad, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, and then I may hang them outside. Sure. And that's, that's cold. That's cold getting dressed. I'm not talking about my undies and everything. But, <laughs> but my, and, and incidentally, I leave my rifle outside too, because I don't want to bring my rifle in and get it warmed up and then get the condensation yes, yep. back and mm-hmm. forth when I'm coming in or going, or going yeah, back out. Your scope out. will be all fogged uh, up for the first I've couple hours. I've never done anything. And I actually had some friends in the Midwest who worked with a major scent company. And boy, they had it all. <laughs> and and yet I've never I've never done anything in regard in regard to scent. I did do some as far as using it, I did do some reading and I, I think a deer's nose is like seven thousand times more sensitive, a deer's sense of smell. 7,000, and, and I'm no authority, gents, so, wow. you know, and, and you can read something, and maybe it's not true. My point being, even if I was covered with scent, I think they could still smell you. Right, mm-hmm. right. So, and, and now, maybe someone could be listening and say, well, you probably missed a lot of deer because of that, 
Maybe you've missed a lot of elk because of that. And that is a possibility. I will give them that. Sure. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's not that I've, I, I don't know that that's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's You're a lot shooting. There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys out there who take that, that same standpoint of yes, scent matters, but because it matter because they're, they're so sensitive to it. There's nothing that I can really do to, to change that. And I think that that's a, I think that's a, that's a reasonable, uh, uh, argument to make there yeah definitely i i i have often heard those same guys though they'll say but i am going to play the wind the right way so yes so yes and i've and i've already said that I, yep. i'm going to try to do the wind right but as far as that i maybe a guy would be wise to use something on his boots but but i don't know there again yeah. I, i've just never done anything yeah <laughs> my kind of my my thought on it is i try to use some of those products within reason, obviously you can get carried away and spend a lot of money on that. But I, I try to address it just because, you know, maybe it does allow me to get a few extra yards closer before okay. before I start smelling real strong. Or maybe I can walk through a, a, you know, a dead breeze area a little bit better or something like that. Or basically, it's probably not going to hurt me. But There you go. But there you go. I agreed too. At the same time, uh, uh, especially for deer, um, like like Bill's saying, their their noses are so sensitive. That is their number one survival advantage. I mean, yes, is, it is is yep. using the wind. In fact, uh, if you go back to I think it's episode eight, I had a friend of mine, uh, Chris Dyer, uh, kind of talk about how bucks will bed so that they can you know catch that wind coming in from behind and then be looking you know, out, uh, the other direction because their nose is so sensitive. It's basically almost like eyes on the back of their head. You know, wow. if, they, if they're, if they're, that does make sense. Yeah. If they're sitting downwind and then, uh, kind of keep their back to the, that breeze and then they can kind of look out in front of them there, you know, there's just, and then of course, you know, they have excellent hearing and vision as well, yes, but, they do. Yeah. but, but that, that sense of smell, it is, it is hard to, um, to, to get around that but you know i think too sometimes guys take that that uh view that bill mentioned there in a way it helps keep you from going crazy when you're on a long hunt like a a trip you know everything's great when when jake and i when we go on our hunting trips together day one both of our stuff is all wet all washed fresh and clean and uh you know uh in scent free detergent and everything but two days in that's out the window and you can get you can get like casey's pizza (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) now i gotta i gotta stand corrected because I said I pay no attention to it. I do use some scent-free uh, uh, soap. Okay, yeah. Okay. And, yep. I, and I never even thought about it until you mentioned that. So, but, but there, And when I say wear the same clothes, I'm not talking about when they get rancid. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So. But, but, yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, you can, I think, almost hurt your hunt, your, your hunt by if you get too obsessive over something that you really can't control as well as you want to other and so in that case it's better to go hunting without having all your your t's crossed and i's dotted you know and just try to play the wind better try to use terrain features to kind of block your scent 
Um, maybe if it's a super windy day, don't sit in a tree stand and sit on the ground instead. So your scent doesn't carry as far, you know, make those common sense adjustments, but still try to get out. And, and we've also talked about don't hunt. If you're, you are in the Midwest, don't hunt your best spots when, you know, those kind of things aren't, aren't lining up for you how they should. But, but I agree with Bill that they can, these animals, they're, they're just so (laughs) well equipped to uh survive in that way so that's right yes they are yeah well bill as we uh uh, wrap this one up here if you were to give one piece of advice to a to a guy who was wanting to go west uh and was wanting to chase after um some elk and mule deer what would that one piece of advice be for them okay And, and maybe I'll give you a hard one. I hope not. I would try to find a local who could at least point you in the right direction. Okay. Uh, and that even could be done through the through the internet. Sure. Uh, I'm sure that there must be groups out there that hunt this area, hunt this area, and uh, that that could be that could be helpful. I find that when like when I was hunting Colorado. We were able to find someone who gave us some basic. Wow, this could be a good wipe here. This could be, and and actually, as a group, we did very well. That was and that was an elk hunt. We did see some deer, but that was an elk hunt. Sure. And so I think, I think I would try to find a local who could at least not hold your hand, but point you in the right direction. Uh, apart from that, I would say, know what the regs say. Do as much study as you can. I harvested an elk going into a bull elk, going into an area that I had never been before. And I studied the maps and studied the maps and studied the maps. And, and when I got there and I wouldn't consider myself an expert in, in studying maps either, but I know enough to get by. And when I got in there, I was able to hike where I wanted to go. And, uh, shortly after daybreak, I sitting waiting and, and didn't see anything from the vantage point. And then probably 15 minutes into my still hunt, uh, a bull came out and that's the one that I'd mentioned earlier. He, he looked at me and we startled each other. Only he didn't run right away. Okay. And, and I was able, I was able, I had about three or four seconds and I was able to get to him. And, uh, so know your area yeah. as best as you can. And I'm going to go up this road and, and then I'm going to head this way. And maybe your first day, you don't have to, you wouldn't be so good, but the next day you can say, okay, I can park here in the dark. Tomorrow yeah. morning, I'm going to park here in the dark, and then I'm going to walk over, and I'm going to be just on this side of that ridge before daybreak. Yeah. And over that park where it's all grassy, and it looks like there's some elk sign in there, and uh, that would be that would those would be a couple of things that I would say. Just go. Uh, I know that's hard when a guy's spending a lot of money, but uh, if you have somebody who can give you a hand as far as point you in the right direction, don't think that you have to have all the right equipment. I I laugh at that. Yeah. Uh, even and I'll shift gears a little bit on you gents, even here in Alaska, uh, you got to have the, the big thing now is the bigger, higher powered rifles. You got to have this. And I was hunting, I was hunting, um, moose and hunting with my seven millimeter mag. Okay. And they yeah. told me it's, it's not, it's not big enough. And I said, what do you mean? It's not big enough. What did they do before all these higher power came out? They yeah. shot it with an odd six. Yeah. <laughs> and they shot bear. They shot moose with an odd six here in Alaska. Yep. And when I tell the old timers that they laugh. And they say, yeah, that's exactly right. That, you know, you, you use what you had. Nobody yep. had the, the 338 or whatever, all the big mm-hmm. games. So, right. Yep. 
Yeah, that's uh. Does that help? Oh yeah, definitely. Those are For that's sure. okay. excellent, excellent advice there. Uh, and and one last thing here before we uh we uh, close this one off, you got some hunting plans coming up this November. Can you kind of give us a rundown of what you're, oh, you're yeah, hoping to do? I'm, I am thrilled. I am excited. I'm I'm flying. We're in Alaska now. We fly out of Alaska on Tuesday, and I'll be about a little less than two weeks in Montana, in Michigan, in Michigan, excuse me. And then we fly to Montana on November 10th. Awesome. And uh, I am, I'll be hunting with the pastor uh, from Dillon, Montana, and we're going to spend three days together hunting elk. And then we're actually going to hunt some, uh, some whitetail also. All right. And, and then I'm going to go back up to my cabin. You know, part of the hunting is the fellowship. Oh, this yeah, preacher and I, we sure. get along great and we encourage each other and we challenge each other. So, so I'm taking the first part of my hunt. I'll be aching to hunt around my own cabin, but I'm not going to do that first. I'm going to go down to Dillon, which is about 90 miles away sure. and I'll be hunting down there for a few days. And that's where my, uh, elk tag, uh, is also good. My bull tag is good for antlerless. And if okay, I see a yeah. cow, you can be sure that I'm going to, I'm going to shoot a cow elk. I won't have any, any shame in that. Any, any mm-hmm. elk is a trophy. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and then I'll Eats come back. The same. <laughs> yeah. Then I'll come back to my cabin. And one of the things I want to do is I want to drive up a, a a gulch there where the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation purchased land 20 years ago. And I don't know if they like people to know this. I I, I love the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. They've sure. done wonders. They purchased land and they logged it. And they make money off it when they log it. Okay. And and they logged it well, where they left some of the old trees where there's some places where you'd have a hard time getting through. And if the elk need to hide out, they could go in there and there'd That's be no awesome. way you could go in and surprise them. A lot of it, they clear cut. And I've been a logger myself and I'm not against clear cutting it. It grows back. Yeah. And I'll, I'm so I'm going to go up there and then I, I like my hunts to be one directional also. So I may park my vehicle up there. And, and I'll hike to the top of the mountain and then I'll hunt that ridge. I want to be, I know right where I want to be when it's, when it's daybreak, at least sure. one of the mornings. And then I'll continue on down and probably go to my cabin and then somehow get a ride back. Uh, my, my wife will be there part of the time and then part of the time she won't and get a ride back to my vehicle. I like, I like one way hunts when I, when I cover an area like that. And okay. so I'll be hunting and I'll be hunting deer uh, at that point, and I'll be hunting elk. And I saw elk last year in a farmer's field, a rancher's field. Uh, he said he's never seen elk there before, but over the last few years, and I think that's largely thanks to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation who handled the property really, really well. And we've got elk out there now, right around my cabin, uh, that that we never had elk before. Yeah, that's, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. So maybe we can, maybe we can touch base after that guys. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be great. And, uh, please, uh, if you have any success, pass it on to us. I'll be happy to post it on, uh, first gen hunter, uh, Facebook page and Instagram page and, and, uh, you know, kind of show, show off, uh, the fun you've been having out there. So we wish you all the best with that. Stay safe. And, um, again, thank you so much, Bill, for, for uh, jumping on the channel and and uh, you know giving your time to even come on the podcast and and uh, share your stories and insight and and years of experience with our our listeners and even uh, my brother Jake and myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, well I love yeah. to share. I'm by no means an expert, but we can all learn from each other. For yep, sure, it's just For fun sure. to hear stories. 
Good, good. Thanks, gents. Thanks for the opportunity. What a great time talking with Bill tonight. There are so many chunks of great information on hunting some of these western species that many of us, especially those of us that are uh, here in the Midwest or farther east, are dreaming about going after ourselves. I love talking to guys who just have a lot of experience. And Bill has a lifetime of that. There's so many good things to take away from this. And if you are fortunate enough to someday go on your own out-of-state mule deer or elk hunt, I'm confident there's great information here that'll help you out. So a huge thank you to Mr. Bill Jenkin III and uh, him lending us his time to uh, fill us in on some great information and also some just really fun stories to listen to. Well, speaking of great information i hope you're finding this podcast helpful i have said it a couple times here in recent episodes but i listen to this podcast too and just from interacting with all these great people that we interview on here i've learned so much more this season than any other hunting season i've had yet and as a result i'm getting a lot more good encounters while i'm deer hunting pheasant hunting is also getting closer and uh You may need to uh, go back and listen to a couple of our pheasant hunting episodes. There's a lot of good things there as well. Regardless, though, I truly do mean that I hope you're finding this helpful. That's why we bring it to you each and every week. You can find out a whole lot more great information at firstgenhunter.com, where you'll find uh, links to the social media pages where we share some good stuff. A link to the YouTube channel that's got some uh, eh, mostly good entertainment value, but definitely some stuff that will help you out as well there. And then, of course, the articles on the website. So, again, head over to firstgenhunter.com to check all that great stuff out. Also, while you're using the Internet, make sure you direct yourself over to thehuntfishlife.com. That's where Brandon and his team there at HFL have a great website and links to their social media pages where there's all kinds of fun hunting uh, and fishing related content shared daily you can also buy some excellent hfl gear i was just wearing some the other night when i went out hunting that's good stuff so make sure you stop by their shop as well well folks i hope you're getting out there and i hope you're uh, kind of piecing together your plans for how you're going to approach the rut this year Make sure that you're still shooting your bow, staying dialed in. Make sure you're taking care of the little details like your scent control and uh, planning where you're going to hunt based on the wind, uh, based on uh, the deer sign that you're seeing when you're on your way to the stand. And uh, most importantly, though, don't take yourself too seriously. Have a blast being out there in the field. That's all I have for you this week. So until next week, Take care and take someone hunting.